a young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. U.S. President Joe Biden is delivering his State of the Union address on Tuesday. After two years in office, the United States is leading is arguably even more politically divided and economically challenged. Meanwhile, gun violence is still not under control and reports of police brutality keep surfacing. How will Biden address both the short-term and long-term challenges? What message will he be conveying to the American public? For more insights, I'm joined today in Beijing by Rick Dunham, a former White House correspondent of Business Week. He's currently leading the Global Business Journalism Program at Tsinghua University. We also have with us Joseph Mahoney, professor of politics at East China Normal University in Shanghai. And in Maryland, we have Sura Gupta, senior Asia-Pacific international relations policy specialist at the Institute for China-America Studies. Welcome, gentlemen. Uh, let's get right to it. The State of the Union addressed uh, to be delivered by President Joe Biden. Uh, Sura, why don't I go to you first? You are in Maryland. Uh, that is about 30 to 40 minutes drive from the Capitol Hill. Uh, give us a sense of the atmosphere right now in the Beltway. The be atmosphere in the Beltway is charged, politically charged. It has been politically charged for quite a while. It'll stay that way, especially with the Republicans having won the House. They are out there to try to torpedo uh, Mr. Biden politically and, and from a policy perspective. And so it's, it's going to be a, a very combustive year or combustive two years in American politics, because I would say, frankly, we are already in the early stages of the 2024 re-election process, frankly. Yeah, Rick, you covered the White House for quite a while. Uh, it's not unusual for Washington to see a, a home parliament uh, where we have a divided Congress. Uh, what's your expectations for this State of Union address to be delivered by Joe Biden? I think he will try to reach out to Republicans on uh, as many issues as he can, but most of it will be patting himself on the back. We'll be talking about uh, the accomplishments uh, of the administration, uh, the lowering of inflation, the uh, lowest rate of unemployment in the United States uh, in 60 years. So I think he'll try to emphasize the positive and where he can work with Republicans. But there's always theatrics. I mean, there always are times when Democrats will applaud standing ovation, Republicans won't do anything, and Republicans try to embarrass the president of Democrats. And occasionally Party. tearing down uh, the whole speech, you know, yeah. <laughs> behind the president. Right, exactly. McCarthy exactly said that. he's that not going to do that this time around. No, I don't think. I don't think so. I think he will try to look uh, as uh, presidential as possible. I mean, he will. He will. He will because uh, he, he. It took him 15 ballots to to win, and I think right now Kevin McCarthy just wants to build up his image, uh, build up his image as a statesman, but also as a leader of conservatives and a leader of Republicans. So I think he he, he will try to do it. Uh, in, in a more diplomatic way, but, but he's a partisan, and, and, and he owes his speakership to some of the very conservative members of the House. So, uh, so he, he doesn't really have a lot of maneuvering room. He has to be pretty partisan. Right. Uh, Joseph, what are you looking for from this State of the Union address? I, I agree. He'll, he'll want to talk about um, low unemployment rates, uh, but not why the U.S. has them or how they're driving up interest rates. Uh, I don't think he can really, I, I'm, I'm sure he will try to brag about interest rates coming down there, or excuse me, uh, inflation coming down. Uh, but uh, in fact, uh, the White House doesn't have much control over that, or at least they haven't actually done much 
Uh, that's largely due to, to Fed operations, which are completely separate. Uh, I think he'll want to talk about his proxy war in Ukraine, uh, as well as his aggressions towards China. I think he'll continue to hype uh, this ridiculous balloon brouhaha, um, which unfortunately uh, many Americans don't mind in principle. But uh, my sense is that they're also tiring of too much focus on these uh, international misadventures that are hurting their pocketbooks. Now, I think he'll predictably focus on gun control in wake of uh, the recent violence. I think he'll talk about violence against minorities, including police brutality. He'll probably mention the Nichols uh, case, the Tyree Nichols case out of Memphis. Um, and certainly he will, uh, I agree, extend an olive branch to McCarthy, uh, who will be sitting behind him uh, and who will try to appear uh, diplomatic, but who will really be thinking about uh, when he should frown or, or, or frown or avoid clapping. Talking about uh, the partisanship in the U.S. Congress, Sura, Joseph just mentioned uh, the potential whereby Joe Biden may be courting some uh, bipartisan cooperation with McCarthy. After all, he's the new House Speaker. Uh, what kind of cooperation do you envision down the road? Uh, you know, uh, build back better comes to mind, of course. You know, one area where he, where, where the two are have to cooperate, and in some ways fated to cooperate, even though there might be delays, is actually on the debt ceiling. Uh, McCarthy holds the whip hand out there, but at the end of the day, the two sides have to have a meeting of minds. Otherwise, we are going to have a default, and both sides understand the consequences. But there will be a lot of pol politicking with regard to that, and that, and we'll see if there's a more detailed spending plan or spending cuts plan that comes out following that. You know, the one area I think there is scope for cooperation in, sp in spite of the fact that everything is so fractious in, in the U.S. Congress and so politicized is in the area of big tech. Surprisingly, there are from both sides of the aisle a commonality of views on certain points in terms of privacy protections to some extent with regard to intermediary liabilities, something called Section 230 of the Communications Act. Uh, in terms of certain protections with regard to antitrust, there are differences. It's a very, it's a very complex process. It'll be a compendium of many, many uh, little, uh, many provisions, but the two sides have a kind of a coming together of views. And if the two sides are willing, there is a scope for Biden and the Republicans to have a victory in terms of placing some curbs on big tech. But apart from these two areas, I really don't see where it's going to happen. Mr. Biden has been successful on the infrastructure front, on the green stimulus front, on, uh, on the uh, in terms of uh, climate change related issues and on the chips front. And he did that in a bipartisan way that 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 will not it, on infrastructure, on Build Back Better, there is no consensus. There is no bi bi bipartisan consensus going forward. But on, as I said, debt ceiling, on restrictions, on big tech, I think there is potential for some very specific areas of cooperation. All right, Rick, uh, how do you see the uh, potential of uh, division versus unity, um, cooperation versus division, uh, you know, coming from Joe Biden's State of the Union and shortly afterwards in the next um, months and potentially years? Well, I, I think foreign policy 
uh, is an area where he can reach out uh, to Republicans. I mean, the Russian invasion and the continuing aggression uh, in Ukraine is one where overwhelmingly the American people uh, favor, favor uh, the position of, uh, of both President Biden and the Republicans in Congress to supply weaponry uh, to resist the, uh, the Russian takeover of uh, eastern and, and, and southern Ukraine and Crimea. Uh, also, uh, although it could lead to tension, uh, China is one of those issues. Uh, Republicans are saying Joe Biden is not doing enough uh, to counter uh, China's economic growth. And I think that he may try to reach out to Republicans on China to try to make it bipartisan rather than what the Republicans want, which is to portray Biden as, as weak. Um, I, I also do think that the idea of looking at government spending is one of those areas where Biden could reach out. Um, and, and so I think those are three areas. Now, the tension is going to be over investigations of Biden. I mean, that's one where, the, where there's going to be growing partisanship uh, over time. And Republicans are also uh, going, going to, uh, to, to be uh, pushing uh, on, uh, on deregulation and pushing on, uh, on, on what they see as uh, the liberal bias of social media companies. So I think that you may see some tension on that over, yeah. the, over the next year. Yeah, Rick, you talk about China and uh, a potential bipartisanship against China. But we all know that uh, a U.S. president has substantial power in terms of foreign policy making. Um, other than perhaps courting uh, the Republicans uh, at both chambers of Congress for horse trading, for passing his domestic agendas, what other constraints do you foresee uh, when, when it comes to Biden's interactions uh, with the you know, uh, members of Congress uh, when it well, comes to China? You're correct. That that's one area where the president does have a pretty wide latitude. Uh, but uh, but in, ter in terms of legislation, in terms of uh, particularly um, some some of the, uh, the the restrictions on uh, on high tech companies. I mean, con the, the the Republicans in the House have created a committee basically to investigate China for the next two years, and this is one where I, I think I mean Joe Biden is not nearly as hawkish as the Republicans are uh, when it comes to China, and I think he may try uh, to bring them in uh, in a way that could could leave room for constructive engagement with China as well. I don't think the Republicans are particularly interested in economic engagement with China. I think that, 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 they, that they want to uh, be pretty hard line. And Joe Biden's trying to walk a fine line uh, because, because of, of this criticism. And so I think, I think he may try to reach out to tone down uh, some of the, the harshest rhetoric of the Republicans. Uh, Joseph, do you have anything to add? What are, you, what are your thoughts on uh, Joe Biden's potential uh, interaction with the members of the Congress when it comes to policies vis-a-vis -vis China. Yeah, I'm not so optimistic that that Biden is is less hawkish. Uh, I, you know, what Biden has advanced in terms of uh, uh, concrete containment uh, efforts since he took office two years ago against uh, against China far outpace anything that we saw under under Trump. And so I think uh, Biden is begging for uh, the sort of uh, competition with Republicans of, of who can be uh, stronger against China. And so I would be more concerned that whatever um, we see coming out of the House, uh, that this will either be this you know, opportunity for them to cooperate or Biden will one-up them and, and propose something even more provocative in order to um, continue this uh, political struggle that we see between both parties of who can be the toughest against China, especially as we head into the uh, next presidential election. 
Yeah, I mean, China has a policy of not interference in other countries' domestic uh, politics. Um, I'm wondering if you think it's premature to predict if Joe Biden will be, it will be a foregone conclusion for Joe Biden to become uh, the Democratic nominee for the race for 2024, as we see a very crowded uh, race for, on the Republican side for the race uh, in 2024. I don't think that Biden will lose the nomination. Um, I think that the, the main question at this point is uh, who can defeat him on the Republican side. And uh, in this case, uh, the, the front runner to get the nomination is likely DeSantis out of Florida. The, the question is whether or not Trump will play the spoiler. I don't think Trump can win the nomination, but he can split uh, uh, the Republican vote uh, enough uh, that uh, the Republicans would lose whatever potential margin in a very polarized uh, national election. Asura, you've been observing U.S.-China relations. You've been studying it. Uh, your observations uh, for, for U.S.-China relations and especially Washington's posture vis-a-vis uh, -vis China in the next two years. I actually think in this, this year, in 2023, there is the opportunity, the potential, the opportunity, whether it will be seized, I am not sure, of adding, lending a certain degree of stability to the relationship. The leader is trying to stabilize the relationship, at least from the White House's perspective. Uh, I, I'm talking from the executive branch's perspective. Congress is going to be the spoiler out here because I think Congress is going to go out of its way to spoil the relationship, frankly. And therefore, it's going to be very messy in terms of congressional executive politics with regard to China this year, which was not so much the case previously, because what the Republicans are trying to do is, of course, denigrate China, but use that as a stick to beat Biden going into 2024. And that's why I think the House, that Select Committee on China, is going to devolve into a highly partisan exercise. And therefore, I think uh, U.S.-China relations... I don't think they'll be terrible because the executive branch is going to try to play a steady hand out there, but it's not going to have much opportunity to be able to actually stabilize the relationship. Can I just jump in one more thing, one more point I'd like to make where actually you're not talking sure. in Congress, what they can work on together, and this relates directly to China, frankly. There is one area where the two sides have a meeting of minds also, and that is with regard to an outbound foreign investment screening mechanism. It's a mechanism to screen outbound investment from the United States to China and create blocks on in certain sectors, maybe quantum, AI, semis, they've already done in semis, etc. Block US investment in China. So this is not about China trying to acquire a, a company in the US. It's about Americans making an investment in a Chinese company outbound American investment in China. And they, I think they are tr and they're trying to create a screening mechanism to raise the bar on these sort of it's investments. It's like a CFIUS, but the other way. Exactly. Yes, exactly. It's a reverse CFIUS. CFIUS is for inbound. Reverse CFIUS would be for outbound. Yeah. And they're working on an executive order. And frankly, there is a head of steam, both on the Republican and Democratic side, with regard to actually legislating something in this regard. And so once the executive order comes out, I'm as expecting in the next month or two, uh, we might actually see over the next year and a year and a half, something like this reverse CFIUS being legislated. Reverse So, CFIUS. I mean, one wow. needs to be aware. Thank that. you for highlighting this uh, potentially very important mechanism. Uh, Rick, I wanted to go back to the issue of U.S. economy. We saw conflicting uh, numbers there, 517,000 jobs added. The 
uh, lowest unemployment rate uh, in decades, 3.4%. Um, but on the other hand, according to the ABC Washington Post poll, only 16, some 16% Americans say that they feel that they're better off uh, than they were previously. Uh, what do you make uh, of the, the real state of the U.S. economy? Both are true. Uh, the U.S. economy is uh, doing a lot better than Americans think it is, but politically, what Americans think is what's real. Uh, this, that, I mean, this has happened in past presidential elections, particularly with the first George Bush, uh, when the, the economy was recovering in 1992, uh, but uh, people felt terrible about the economy. Uh, Joe Biden has to show the people of the country that he's doing something. That, that yes, instead of just saying, oh, things are going very well, you know, we have inflation under control, job, jobs uh, are plentiful, uh, he has to talk in a way that connects with people, that he understands the problems that people face. Um, some of this is partisan. Republicans almost universally feel that things are terrible, where just when Donald Trump was president, Republicans said that things were wonderful, uh, even though the economy is roughly the same as it was before, before COVID. Uh, but right now, what Joe Biden has to do is to uh, get out of the way of the e economic growth, but to show Americans uh, that he cares. He has to change their attitude more than the real economy. There's not that much the president can do, as we've talked about. The Fed actually has more power over the future of the economy than the president over this next year. Uh, but Joe Biden has to show that he cares, has to work on communicating with the American people uh, what is going on uh, and, and what he and maybe he and the Republicans can do in a positive way. Yeah, Asura, the Fed is expected to raise rates again next month uh, to up to 5%. It just did uh, raising the rates uh, some a week ago. I mean, what do you make of the impact of the Fed's rate hiking and especially the ripple effects on emerging economies on uh, countries such as China? Uh, first, let me stay with the U.S. economy. Uh, the U.S. economy seems to have weathered the rate hikes better than, slightly better than anticipated. And therefore, if there is a, a downturn, the expectation is that it may be, it will, it will be a soft downturn. And that is if there is a downturn. Uh, it might, the economy just might be a little flat for a while. But obviously, from a political standpoint, that hurts Biden because he, you, you, you don't want to go into a, with a flat economy running into your uh, 2024 campaign. I would say emerging economies have weathered the strong, this, this, the, the, infl the interest rate hikes very, very well, frankly. And that is part, this is both Latin America and in emerging Asia. And reason for that is they've gone through these sort of financial and macroeconomic and capital flow uh, crises before. And they know the things that they need to do to keep their to run a tight fiscal ship and to balance their budgets and basically have good policies, macroeconomic policies, and this has helped them. But there are a few countries, both in the developed world and in the developing world, which have taken on too much debt and are have and are under threat of distress in some some ways. I mean, the UK economy is not doing well. Italy, there's the interest rates might it, it might suddenly see a rise in its rates if management is not well handled there are cases you, we know about the zambias and the sri lankas and the ghanas but these are very specific countries which need specific solutions as a group i'd say emerging economies have done very well considering how high and quick the the interest rate hikes by the fed have been 
Yeah, one more issue about the U.S. economy before I jump to social issues. Um, uh, Joseph, um, we saw that um, the Republicans are reluctant to make some of the um, spending cuts proposed by Joe Biden. How likely is it, do you think, that uh, the partisan divide might result in a default, something that uh, we've seen a couple of times uh, in the past decades? Well, I think, I think the earlier comment that McCarthy will ultimately have to deal on the debt ceiling is absolutely true. You know, we can talk about political defaults, but, but the, the idea that we're actually going to have a financial default is, is extremely remote at this point. Uh, that will only happen when the dollar ceases to be the, the global supranational currency. Uh, and that will come at some point, but not in the near term. I think one of the things that I suspect with McCarthy is that he understands that in the past, when uh, Republican speakers played politics with the debt ceiling, um, that it didn't fare well for them. Uh, it certainly played to the uh, to the rabid Republican base, but it, it didn't help them overall. Uh, and he's already signaled that he that he will try to be more reasonable and diplomatic. Um, so I suspect that uh, he will uh, go ahead and, and support that. Now I mention this because one of the things that we saw with Trump, uh, Trump's populism is uh, unrestrained spending, which uh, Republicans historically were opposed to. And uh, uh, I think they're very cautious at this point in time to start cutting policies that could undermine uh, their local popularities, especially yeah. given the very, very tight margins that we see in polarized society. Yeah, one social issue that uh, people kept mentioning is the gun violence in the United States. Um, we have this report from our reporter, Nitsa Soledad Perez, filed from the United mm -hmm. States. Another community traumatized. This time it was Newport News, Virginia. One of the latest school shootings in the U.S. was perpetrated by a six-year-old, critically wounding his teacher, Abigail Swerner, during class. Just days into 2023, the shooting took place on a day gun injuries were reported at two other U.S. schools, according to a tracker compiled by the Education Week news organization. On January 23rd, two teenage students were killed and an adult male was injured at an alternative educational program for at-risk youth affiliated with the Des Moines School District in Iowa. Police cited an alleged gang dispute. School shootings are a constant threat in American society. There have been more than 150 of this violent incident since 2018, according to Education Week magazine. The community of Newport News is still grappling with the notion of such violence carried out by a first grader. A six-year-old doesn't really know reality from, from f any fantasy. A six-year-old can think and say, I'm angry, I want to shoot you, but to them it's bang, bang, like they would watch on TV. It's not that I'm really meaning and, and planning on, on killing you, but they can be very angry. And a common theme resurfaces, warnings that school administrators allegedly ignored. The wounded teacher's lawyer accused school administrators of failing to act, despite three separate appeals for intervention over suspicions that the boy had a gun. The superintendent of the Newport News School District was fired in the aftermath of the shooting. The school's principal was removed from her post, while its assistant principal resigned. At this time, authorities have not indicated whether they will prosecute the parents for not properly securing the weapon. Meanwhile, Richneck Elementary reopened for classes after a three-week pause, with new metal detectors in place. Nitsa Soledad Perez, CGTN, Miami. That was really tragic and unfortunate. Uh, Rick, what kind of measures, uh, legislations do you foresee 
to address gun violence going forward. That was a terrible case and a, and a scandal that it was allowed to happen. Unfortunately, I really don't see uh, much happening. You're gonna, going to have uh, calls for metal detectors at uh, schools at all level. Uh, I mean, we had thought that elementary schools, primary schools would be exempt, uh, but you're going, to see, you're going to see that. Republicans are going to call for arming teachers, which is something that most wow. teachers do not, I mean, a great majority of teachers do not want uh, because they don't want more guns in, in the classrooms. But really, uh, I, I think that it's, it's part of a bigger discussion. I mean, we can say this every time there's another mass shooting, which happens twice a week, sadly, in the United States. Uh, there are calls for doing something, and nothing really happens. States are taking the lead right now, and you're seeing a real divide in the country um, between states with a lot of guns and states where people have fewer guns. But, but I really don't see very much uh, of yeah. substance happening. But there has to be some way to get guns out of the hands of people who are known to be dangerous. I mean, it, it's just ridiculous. We have this discussion over and over again, and nothing ever seems to happen. I mean, there, I, I just want to say one thing about the United States, which is the availability, the ready availability of firearms makes it so easy for people who get mad to go and shoot many people. This is the difference between the United States and other countries. All around the world, people get mad, but only in the United States do people get mad and, and shoot one person, shoot four people, shoot 50 people. Yeah, cause for doing something and then in the end, nothing happens. Joseph, do you see this happening again? You know, I do, uh, and, I, and I do for several reasons. One. Um, we, we saw uh, quite a number of uh, new social problems uh, being increased during uh, the U.S.'s catastrophic response to COVID, uh, surging crime, uh, drug, alcohol, depression. We saw uh, children losing a couple of years of schooling effectively, uh, especially in, the, in, in poor communities, minority communities. And so these, these are all problems that are going to play forward in society. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see more um, uh, attacks from students themselves in schools. Uh, and I am very concerned uh, about these policies of arming teachers. Uh, I think that adding more guns to classrooms uh, simply uh, invites uh, uh, more tragedy. I, I think we'll certainly see cases of, of teachers eventually shooting students or students getting access to teachers' guns and, and shooting others. So, um, you know, but the problem, the bigger problem, as, as has been already uh, articulated, is that we have hundreds of millions of guns in U.S. communities already in the hands of private citizens, police, security forces. And uh, every time in the last several years when national legislation has been, uh, been discussed, uh, we've seen surges in gun and ammunition sales because people are afraid that they're going to lose access despite already having enough to kill many people several times over. So we, we have already this massive and still growing arsenal of weapons uh, circulating in the U.S. And it's not just that we see a, a different approach uh, by the states. In fact, the federal government is substantially limited in terms of the type of policies it can pursue given uh, constitutional protections. And we do indeed see uh, states moving in very different directions uh, from uh, red states in particular that are promoting more guns and rather tepid uh, gun control policies, even in mm -hmm. blue states, because they know that they'll be challenged in court. And that will do it for this edition of The Hub on CGTN. I am Take care.